Shazam, yes. bam, wham, and hello, and welcome to the 16th episode of Culture, Culture Bucket. Bucket. I was trying to do Culture it Bucket. <laughs> uh, I'm George. It's the 16th episode. 16 episodes we've done. Yes, and I am your erstwhile host, George. I don't know what that means. And my other host, the other host is Alex, who's here as well. Hi, Alex. Hi. Hi. How are you? How are you? Oh. Oh, oh no! Awkward, jinx. Awkward. Uh. Uh. <laughs> so I'm pretty good. Yeah. It's it's been an interesting week. We're recording this the week of the American election, so yes. it's been a a tense, dramatic week with a, a broadly positive finish. I I think. How how are you? Oh. I agree with you. It's the 8th of November and everything is looking better. And Kanye, I don't know. <laughs> I think he put yeah, well, Kanye 2024, so I think he's going to try again. Yeah, but he'll try again in the laziest, worst way possible, so it has no impact on anything. So, yeah. yeah. Sure. Sure. Well done, Kanye. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but we're not here to talk about politics Absolutely. We're here not. to talk about popular culture. Yeah. This week specifically, we'll be doing our top five novels. Yes. Or top five, top five fictional books mm. type thing. Maybe maybe one of mine's a novella rather than a novel, but yeah. So, first, let's do culture catch up. Yes. This is culture catch up time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. So, what have you been doing this week, George? Well, Alex, this week has been, as we just mentioned, quite a tense <laughs> yeah. week. Uh, up until yesterday, it was largely up in the air what was going to happen in the world, mm-hmm. and... Uh, England went into another lockdown this week, which is where I live. So it's been quite a stressful week. So I've not. I, I've. I'm take. I'm going to take culture catch up to strange new places this week. Ooh. Yes. I'm I've excited. got one film that I watched. I watched one film. One. And then one, and then there's, and then we'll, and then I've got some other ideas. What so we'll see happened? What happens. <laughs> one film. Uh, one film. One film I watched called The Lodge from last year or this year, depending on which website you look at. It is a horror film starring Alicia Silverstone, Riley Keough and Richard Armitage. Sorry, like every horror film is like The Lodge, <laughs> The Mist, The Shadow, The yeah. Balloon. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a great one. Is it? Um, Yeah, The Balloon's really good. But The Lodge... Mm. Uh, came out like last year in America, I think, and then never came out in England. And 
uh, all the reviews for it were like, it's great, and it's a bit like Hereditary, and I love Hereditary. We've mm. talked about that enough. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch The Lodge. And then it just never came out. So this week I ordered it, ordered it from Germany on eBay so I could finally watch it. From eBay? So, um, yeah, I went on eBay and I looked it up and there was a German copy on Blu-ray. So I got that. Um, and it's basically, you know, there's one bit in the movie where it goes six months later and it says six months later in German. But other than that, it was just like watching the, you know, English mm. version. So it was fine. Um, it, you know, it was, it was in English. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's not quite as good as Hereditary, but it's an interesting film. It's a very like what people call elevated horror, which I don't really is a term that's a bit ridiculous, but mm. it's like films like Hereditary, Midsummer, Get Out, those kind of basically just means like a, a well made horror film. Okay. But never mind. And it's about two children whose parents have split up and their dad wants them to kind of go on holiday with their with his new partner. Um, so they can try and sort of get on with her. And then it explores what happens when they go to stay together in this isolated lodge uh, in the snow somewhere. And it's it's really good. And it's it's got a lot of twists in it that I don't really want to spoil, so there's not much more to say than that, other than Riley Keough, who plays the new partner of the dad, is fantastic in it. And I don't previously only really, really seen her in Under the Silver Lake, which she's only in... A small amount, so it was nice to see, you know, a bigger role from her and see how how talented she is. She's very good. She has to do a lot in it as a sort of former cult member who's trying to impress these children. Okay. And yeah, it's dark. It, it goes to some really weird places, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And that's the only film I watched this week, and it's the only new thing at all that I did. Wow! Like of, that's of kind them, of my standard. <laughs> I know because I I have been doing I have been watching something this week and listening to stuff but because of how stressful and tense everything in the world was I kind of needed some comfortable things to go back to and to go okay. on to so initially I finished Hades the third week of talking about that amazing video game yeah I completed it and then I completed it again, 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 and then I completed it again. I did it. I finished it six times this week. It's amazing. Wow. And I love the heck out of that game. Okay. Wow, it's so good. Then I went on Amazon Prime, and I watched all of the first season and half of the second season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Is it on Amazon Prime? It's on Amazon Prime. Have you have you watched Buffy, Alex? Yeah, but a long time ago. So if it's a on Amazon Prime, a long time ago, I think I might go on that ship. Oh, it's like wrapping yourself up in a comforting, warm blanket. <laughs> it's all you needed um, this week, just being wrapped up in a warm blanket. I needed to be wrapped up and told everything was going to be okay, and Buffy <laughs> Summers was the person to do it. Uh, it was so. Uh, it's just. I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> how many? Like, how um, many series are there? There's seven seasons, and then ah, there's seasons. five seasons. I, of... oh, I keep getting really bad seasons. How many seasons are there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not. It doesn't matter too much. But in yeah. America, they say seasons, and in England, we say series. I guess is the difference. Anyway, there's five seasons of Angel and seven seasons of Buffy, so there's plenty of content to get through uh, for me. Wow. So. 
with respect to the fact that I've spent my entire week watch, watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm I'm launching a new feature within <laughs> Culture Catch-Up, and it is my definitive ranking of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters. Are you ready, Alex? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Good. I went online, I looked up all of the characters that are have... All of the characters whose actor is credited in the opening titles throughout all seven seasons, if you see what I mean. Okay, yeah. So they there's 12 characters who get a credit in the opening titles. And before anyone points it out, I know that Jonathan is featured heavily in the special titles they did for Superstar in season three. However, Danny Strong doesn't get a credit, so it doesn't count. So he doesn't count. But there is one. there was one character, actually, who only got credited in the titles once in exactly one episode, Mm -hmm. and they do count. So, in at number 12, we've got the worst possible character of all time on Buffy, Riley Finn. Okay. Do you remember Riley, Alex? Uh, I I just, wait a second. I'm going to, I'm going to get ready. This is going to be, this is going to be a roller coaster, I think. So uh, I'm getting ready the, with the computer, and let's see, because okay. <laughs> I think you are fired up today, Riley. I am Finn. ready to go, Riley okay. Finn. Riley Finn. I do not remember him. Riley Finn. Oh, no, 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 I do, I do, I was... do. Yes, yes, yes. You do? Yeah. He was he was Buffy's love interest in season four and mm. five. Yeah, and uh, when she went to college, and he was secretly a member of the initiative, and he was unbelievably boring, mm. and had no redeeming qualities whatsoever. So in he goes at number twelve. Of these twelve characters, is the only one that's genuinely dislikable, in my opinion, or that I genuinely don't like, rather than just you know rank lower. Okay. So we'll get him out of the way straight away. Mark Blucas, I'm sure, is a, conf- a good actor, but Riley Finn can just do one. Then in at number eleven, we've got. The wonderful Tara. Do you remember Tara? Played by Amber Benson, Willow's love interest. Yes, yes, I remember. Tara, good character. Mm -hmm. uh, Unlocks a lot of new feelings in Willow. Their their relationship is beautiful. Yeah. And the journey she goes on uh, with Willow is really nice. And I like her, but she's just not in it that much. And... Amber Benson isn't the strongest actor in the world, so so her character sort of doesn't totally work. But okay, she's okay. She's got some nice episodes. The episode where her parents come or her family comes mm. because they've got this thing where in her family, when you turn 20, you become a demon. Uh, that's a good episode because she thinks she's about to turn into a demon. And it turns out that actually they've just been gaslighting the women in the family all this time. And she's not going to turn into a demon at all. It's just the way the men control the women in that family. How awful. It's nice. a great episode. They all they all defend Tara and they say they're part of our family now at the end, Willow and Buffy, and oh, it's great. Number 10, Dawn Summers. Do you remember Dawn Summers? Dawn Summers, yes, I remember. Buffy's sister. Where did she come from? Who knows? Why does she only turn up in season five? How yes. strange is that? that was Played strange. by Michelle Trachtenberg. There's a lot of... Um, People that hate Dawn, I think she's okay. She's got a difficult job of suddenly joining the cast in season five as seemingly mm. Buffy's sister and having people, you know, believe that. And I, I don't know. I think she's good. Then, yeah. controversial choice, in at number nine, in at number nine, a character that's very popular with a lot of people, Xander. 
like Xander, yes. Xander. Do you remember Xander? Yeah, I just said, oh, Xander, yes. (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) Yeah, he's one of the main characters, isn't he? He is one of the main characters. From the Yeah, and you know what? In season one and two, he is a he is a problematic boy. Is Xander? I I have not noticed before what a, what an issue Xander is in this series. <laughs> okay, he is totally in love with Buffy. Yeah, and everyone knows it, including Buffy. Yet, and he kind of makes a big deal out of it all the time, even though Buffy has made it very clear that she's not interested. And it's just kind of weird mm. and he just is he's just really mean about all the like angel and all the other uh boys that buffy likes during the course of the series yeah, and it's just like teenager, why would you continue you're a teenager and you're in love with someone and you know you can't really control your feelings as a teenager yeah but i feel like as he grows up and becomes older in the series his mm. attitude doesn't change like he leaves Anya at the altar when they're when when they're meant to get married he's just spoiler kind of a Selfish guy. Yeah, spoilers for Buffy. Sorry, he's a selfish dude, and I, I've, I don't know. I, I've gone. Are you? He's got some funny lines, but also I've noticed that he says all these funny things, but no one in the show ever laughs. <laughs> should, like, <laughs> eventually, somebody should take a hint that maybe they're not very funny, hmm. even though he is. You know, I don't know. Nicholas Brendan's good, and I do, I do like Xander, but I mean, he, he's, he's. He's a he's a he's a real problem as well. Okay. Number number eight. Yeah. Uh, the girl whose heart is broken by Xander, leading to the introduction of Anya, Cordelia Chase. Sorry, I haven't watched it in so long. I'm, I'm I have to check. Oh, you'll know <clears throat> Cordelia. Oh yes, yes, yes. I remember her. Yeah, starts as nasty, spoiled, horrible yeah. girl. But, you know, her character goes on a real journey, especially when she joins Angel and becomes a main character on Angel. Mm. And she is probably... The reason why she's so good is because Charisma Carpenter, who plays her, is an amazing actress and really puts in a fantastic performance. And you really believe, um, you know, that that this person could go on this journey and change and become the person she becomes as the series goes on. And I like her. I like Cordelia. She's very charismatic. She's cool. Number seven. Anya, um, former vengeance demon who is summoned by Cordelia to uh, take vengeance on Xander when she catches him cheating on her and then becomes a human and falls in love with Xander. What a complex web they all weave. What a complex web. What a complex web. Anya's cool. She's scared of rabbits and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and she's good at running uh, magic shops as well. Oh, okay. she's, she's I like Anya. Now we're getting into big hitters number six. The one and only Angel. Yeah. Come on. Come Pretty on. boring guy to start with, but he comes into his own when he gets when his soul gets taken away and he becomes a bad guy. And then he goes off and gets his own TV show. And uh, David Baryanaz does a good job, especially considering apparently David Baryanaz, who plays Angel, was only discovered because somebody saw him walking his dog. <laughs> really? And they just were like, oh, you're a very handsome, man. You should come and... And then he's he's actually really... He's a good actor. He's really good in Buffy. And um, yeah. I've, yeah, I've never Angel's, watched Angel's Angel cool. actually. Angel's a good. Angel's really good. Angel's underrated. I think it goes much okay. darker than Buffy in some places, and um, mm. it, much weirder as well. There's some really strange episodes of Angel. Okay, yeah, it's great. Number five, another vampire, slightly higher on the list. Spike. Ah, uh, Spike. We all Is that love the guy Spike. With the blonde hair. 
He's got blonde hair. He's a yeah. sort of a Cockney guy, but he's an, he's being played by an American, so the accent's a bit all over yeah. the place. Uh, starts off as a fantastic bad guy, sort of slowly over the course of the series becomes something of a good guy. Mm-hmm. Is a real strange dude. <laughs> Well, it was never, it was always like a thin line between him being a bad guy and a good guy, wasn't it? Like yeah, so like in series four, he gets mm. a chip put in his head where he can't physically hurt any living creatures without feeling pain. So like yeah, that starts him on the journey to becoming a good guy, and then eventually, I think at the end of season six, maybe he gets given a soul again, mm. uh, which makes him properly a good guy. And I think in Angel, then he has a real big redemptive moment as well. Um, but. He's just very funny. He's just James Masters mm. puts in a good performance. He's a really funny character. He was only meant to be in it for about ten episodes, and in the end, you know, everyone kind of liked his performance so much they kept him around for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. And um, he's great. I've just gotten to the point. I'm in the point now in series two where he's in it quite a bit, and he's just he's just he like his arrival into Buffy brings a lot of energy into Buffy and makes it better. Like you can really tell the difference between season one and two with his arrival. Number four, Oz, played by Seth Green. We all love a bit of Seth yep. Green in oh, our lives. Always. And when I'm talking about Xander being like a problem and we're saying, oh, teenagers like that, Oz is like Oz is like the good version of a teenage boy. Yeah, Oz yeah, is like definitely. a nice, good guy. Mm. He's good <clears> for <throat> Willow. Yeah. Um, he's unfortunately a werewolf, but we can't have everything in our lives. <laughs> okay. So Yeah. Yeah, I really like Oz. The only the only thing that holds him back is that he's only in it for about a season and a half or so before he um left to go and star in Austin Powers movies. But mm. he is he's a good guy. Like the first episode Oz turns up in, he's wearing this really bright blue um shirt. And it just it just dresses in a way that's very different to other characters in the show and just feels really fresh. And then a few mm. episodes later he's wearing a really bright red shirt and he just I don't know, he's just there's something about him that just feels new and fresh. And again, similar to Spike, brings a new energy to the show, which is good. In at number three You've got to give it to her, really, to be fair. It's Buffy herself. Come on. Oh, Buffy's at number three. Okay. Buffy's at number three. Yeah. She's great. Everyone mm-hmm. loves a bit of Buffy. There's not much more to say than that. Sarah Michelle Gellar is absolutely amazing as the character. And yeah. There are episodes, you know, I don't know. She's she's really good. She's really, really good. But there are two characters that are better. Number two, yeah. the one and only Giles. Yeah. Of course. Buffy's watcher, classic British guy. Yeah. Stiff upper lip, librarian, yeah. lot of good lines. Um, the point I'm at now in season two is where they're just starting to discover his his past as Ripper. Okay. Where he was, you know, a kind of troubled youth who messed mm. around with magic and did some bad things. And did did you ever hear about they were gonna do a TV show or a film called Ripper about like him as a I don't know if it was going to be a prequel or just a Giles show, but there was going to be a Giles spin-off at one point mm. starring Anthony Stewart Head, I think. Um, no, no, and they, I don't remember that. No, they no. kept threatening to do it for years and then never did it, and it's a great tragedy because um, he's good. He's really good. Do you want to then, know a little bit of trivia of me and Giles? Go on. Hit well, me, hit me. when I moved to England when I was six, 17, I started working in a farm shop in the countryside of Bristol basically. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he lived in the surrounding areas and he used to come uh, shopping in uh, my oh. farm shop and I served him a couple of times. Really? Anthony yeah. Stewart Head? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm jealous. 
Good times. All right, well, it's pretty obvious who my number one character is going to be because I haven't mentioned it yet. Uh, it's it Willow. Willow, of course. <laughs> yeah. She is and always will be my <clears throat> absolute favourite character <clears throat> in Buffy and one of my favourite characters in all of popular culture. She's so great. <laughs> yeah. Like season one, I mean, Alison Hannigan, for starters, is just, oh my God, she's the best. Yeah. Then season one, Willow is really kind of shy and nervous and geeky and quiet. Mm. And the journey her character goes on throughout the seven seasons to becoming this, like, the most powerful character in the show, like, stronger than Buffy and mm. this really powerful witch. And then she's a she's a villain at one point because of horrible things that happen. And yeah. it's just, it's just great. She's, like, her journey, in my opinion, almost more than Buffy's, is, like, the core of that show. And it's, I, I just, I just adore it and I love her. Yeah. And... I think the first truly brilliant episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is early in season two. It's an episode called Halloween, and it's where they all turn into the Halloween costume that they're wearing. Mm-hmm, yeah. So Xander's dressed up as a soldier, so he turns into like a soldier. Buffy's dressed up as like a 17th century princess, so she turns into that and doesn't know, like neither of them remember who they were. They just think that they're a soldier and a princess. Yeah. And then Willow had brought this like sexy ghost costume, mm-hmm. and she'd gotten really self-conscious about wearing it because it was like, you know, a whole midriff is revealed and stuff like that. And she looks really good in it, but she's really nervous to look like that. And suddenly at the last second, she just puts a sheet over her head and, you know, is like a traditional ghost with the eye holes cut out so nobody can see her. But then when the magic activates, she dies. And when she gets up as a ghost, she's wearing the original costume. And it's kind of a real thing of her becoming... Like by the end of the episode, she has the opportunity to put the sheet back on but she chooses mm. not to and walks off dressed. And it's about her, like, you know, accepting herself. Oh, it's just it's just a great episode and a great journey for the character. And I love her. And she's the best. Oh, Willow. Oh. Willow, why? So, yeah, there we go. Cool. You should watch some Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well. And then we can talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer more. Oh, okay. I didn't realise this was going to be a bump, uh, bumpy. <laughs> a Buffy the Vampire <laughs> Slayer um, special but yeah i'm glad uh, that yeah. you you are re- revisiting that yeah oh 100 it's so so good next last thing of my culture catch up again strange new places musically something happens to me about once every three or four years <laughs> where i remember yeah <laughs> i remember that the band arcade fire exists ah oh yeah Okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because right. what what I then do is I then listen to nothing except Arcade Fire for about a month and then get to a point where I'm like, I can't ever listen to them again. And then I have to wait about <laughs> another three years <laughs> to like Amazing. let it go back and refresh. So I'm currently, they just, one of the things that happened in this big election was that they premiered a new song on Stephen Colbert's show called Generation A. Okay. Um, and I watched the video of that on YouTube and it's a pretty good song. And I was like, oh, I do. They're a good band. I like Arcade Fire. And so it started again. So all I've done this week is listen to Arcade Fire over and over again. And I do, I absolutely love them. But I know it will get to a point within the next month where I kind of can't stand them. And then it, it happens again. But for now, I love them. So welcome to my second mini list in this episode. Definitive ranking of Arcade Fire albums. How excited are you for this, Alex? Like, <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, in at number you five, seem, you seem, you seem got you. are having a moment, George. In at number five, their yeah. previous album, 
Everything Now. I hated this album when it came out. It had the most irritating promotional campaign I can remember for a major band where they kind of launched a company called Everything Now and it was meant to be this like satire of consumerism but it just felt cynical in a way that Arcade Fire normally feel more optimistic and I wasn't into Mm. it and I didn't like it and it kind of coloured the album for me. Going back to it now, it's actually got Mm -hmm. loads of decent tunes on it and I like it and it's not their best album but... I, I can get I can get behind it. Number four, second album, difficult second album, Neon Bible. I got into Arcade Fire between their first and second album, so this was like the first big new Arcade Fire album for me. And I liked it, and I bought the special mm-hmm. edition CD thing of it at the time. Um, Lord only knows where that is now. But ultimately, again, maybe similar to everything now, it has slightly more sort of cynicism behind it and it's slightly darker than the best Arcade Fire stuff. Although all, all Arcade Fire stuff is tinged with, there's like a bit of sweetness to it, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I like Neon Bible. I love all these albums, but it comes there. Number three, mm-hmm. their debut, Funeral, amazing tracks <clears> on this album. Rebellion Lies in particular is such a good song from from start to finish. It's a classic. I love it. Number two, the double album, controversial. Some people weren't so keen on it. I like it. Reflector. It's a good album. Good songs, good tunes. It's very different and weird. There's a song on this album where they play, to introduce the song, they play like an audio record- recording of Jonathan Ross introducing them, going, okay, here now, amazing music from Arcade Fire. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like... I recognise that voice and I know who that is, but every time I listen to it, I like to imagine what like Americans or Canadians mm. must think when that like who do they think is speaking there? Because <laughs> it's such, and then at the end he goes, Oh, that was brilliant, that was an amazing song. And I love that it's such a <laughs> it's such a strange kind of flabby album that has all these odd moments on it like this. And there's another bit that starts with him just talking as if he's doing a live gig and it's a weird, strange album, mm. but I love it. And then at number one. Their masterpiece. It won the Grammy for Album of the Year and then inspired a Tumblr page called Who Are Arcade Fire because loads of people had never heard of them when they won the Grammy. Um, The Suburbs. It's an incredible album. It's absolutely perfect. I adore it. Uh, It's got songs in it like um, Month of May, Ready to Start, Modern Mm. Man. It's good stuff. So yeah, there we go. Arcade Fire. They're great. That's the ranking of their albums. It will never change. There will be no... There will be no... (laughs) Um, there will be no changing we'll talk about it again no in uh, three years time yes <laughs> or I suspect they're about to release a new album so maybe when that happens but yeah. we'll see might be amazing okay Alex <laughs> Great. that was exciting I'm sure you'll agree what have you been doing this week uh, I've been following uh, our normal pattern <laughs> <laughs> okay um, yeah so watch the film uh, in preparation of, uh, just to make me a little bit more anxious about this election, I watched a film called Bombshell. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, have you? Do you know what it is, Bombshell? Bombshell's about the Fox News um, yes. scandal. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's a film directed by Jay Roach, who directed Meet the Fockers and... Austin Powers gold member, uh, Meet the Parents, all like kind of weird films like Dinner for Schmucks, which is not a bad film. Uh, But this one um, seems very different from what he's directed before. Great cast. I think he's trying to do the Adam McKay thing. You know, the Adam McKay who directed Anchorman and then in recent years has directed like The Big Short and the Dick Cheney movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think he's trying to I think I think it's his attempt to do that to move into like more legitimate films, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, great. So it's basically uh, is it's about the Fox News scandal where uh quite a few women uh accused Rogers Ailes uh of kind of a toxic um atmosphere um in the network and yeah. um it's quite it was quite a challenge to take this man to <laughs> to court because you know he's yeah. part of Fox News is a very powerful man uh, the first person that came through was Gretchen Carlson uh, who kept being demoted until she got fired um, and then after her a few women came out and then um, in the end uh, Rod- Roger Isles uh, got fired um, I thought it was a really good film uh, great cast Charlize Theron Nicole Kidman Margot Robbie um, jo- jo- John Lithgow Lithgow? Yeah Lithgow? John Lithgow. Lithgow Lithgow I think Lithgow Amazing in it uh, Kate McKinnon um, then also uh, Bridget Landy Payne is in it which oh, I don't, surprise who's that? I don't know them Of course you know them They were in Bill and Ted Oh, oh, from Atypical. Yeah, from Atypical and oh, from Bill sorry, and Ted. Oh, sorry, I didn't remember their name. Yeah, uh, Rob Delaney, like really, really good cast. Oh, wow. um, it was interesting because they wanted to, tr- I think what he, what the director was trying to do was to make it as realistic as possible. So uh, Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman and John, John Lithgow all had prosthetics to kind of look what, like actually real yeah john lithgow's almost unrecognizable yeah because i didn't know it was him and then i went to check it's like oh my goodness it's him (laughs) and um and what i liked is just they actually use real footage which you don't really see that very often in films so uh for example there's a scene that um uh charlize theron's character megan kelly has to interview um donald trump um, after she asked him a few questions at a debate uh, sometime before and uh, he then uh, accused her of um, you know ha- being on her period and oh, when, I remember ha- that, yeah. how they did the interview was like you could see Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly interviewing Donald Trump but being Donald Trump and it just kind okay. of showed how accurate the film wanted to be to real life um, yeah Margot Robbie's character, uh, Kyla Popsicil. Well, Margot Robbie's character, Kyla Popsicil. She's not actually a real person. She was basically like the embodiment of all the of of all the things that he was accused of. Right, like an amalgamation of all those people into one. Yeah, yeah, which was really interesting. Mm. And the director. When she does the scene, well, I've, I read some trivia and the director, when she did the scene where she has to pull a skirt up because he only wanted to do her for her to do it once because he didn't want to humiliate, humiliate yeah. her, which is pretty, pretty decent. Yeah. So she, he wanted just to take one shot of that. He didn't want her to repeat the shot many times, yeah. which is very different from maybe old film directors where they would make um, their actors do the scene a million times to get a reaction. Like Stanley Kubrick to Shelley Duvall in The Shining. For like example. Stanley Kubrick. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, so I thought that was really good. Although you don't necessarily need to see that. You can imagine it. But um, one thing that I read Margot Robbie thought 
was that she didn't think that somebody saying derogatory thing to a woman was uh, harassment. And then she she was she thought, well, it is, isn't it? Like the realization as a woman yeah. that you don't need to be you don't need to put up with a kind of language because I think women have put up with that kind of language because like, oh, well, you know, you know, they just said that because that's, that's, that's men. Yeah. But you don't have to put up with it. Yeah. And in a way, her realizing that that is not something that is right or correct mm. kind of make, made her want to do the film more. Yeah. And I'm not sure that the scene where she pulls up her letter skirt is so well graphic. You see what what you see. I don't know if it's just to kind of show people that even if he's not touching her, the act of doing that is so mortifying that, you know, because it's just, if you think about it, she's just pulling her skirt up. Yeah. But in reality, it's a, it's a horrific moment. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm not sure if you wanted to show that to kind of show how well, horrible I it is. I mean, I haven't seen it, but from how you're describing it, it sounds like it is important that he mm, shows that because yeah. maybe to have it described, it wouldn't, like some men probably wouldn't mm. see how awful it is without being shown And it. probably some women. Well, because yeah. Because I feel yeah. like, oh, no, well, you, well, you that's only true. like paid your compliment or you only asked you to pull up your skirt. You could have said no. But that, I think, I think it's definitely a good film to watch mm. because it kind of shows you how... There's a thin line, but well, it's not a thin line. There hasn't been any line, and now the line, the you know, they're, they're putting barriers up because I think it's horrific what women had to put up in the workplace if they want to get promoted. In fact, that comes up in the film what they had to do to get promoted, the fear that you might have in that moment that something happens. So yeah, I thought I thought it was a brilliant film and it made me even more I watched it like just I think a, a few days ago before the the results. I was like I definitely wanted Trump out because the fact that a president tells a, a news reporter that she has her period. I just like I can't believe such a person can be the president of the United States or the president of anything, you know? Mm. <laughs> just yeah. I just you know and after seeing Rudy Giuliani in Borat and this film kind of make, making me even more angry that these men not all men these particular men that have so much power that can do pretty much anything they want to women oh, it's just horrific I hate it but yeah so I think I think it's a good film and I, I watched it, made me even more angry. I'm glad the results are out and Trump is not the president anymore. Well, at least officially. We don't know what's going to happen on Monday. <laughs> he's threatening. Yeah, well, he's, he's still the president until January, yeah, so who knows what he's threatening do, to but... sue or something. Yeah. Which is amazing because, you know, Americans are so scared of communism and dictatorships and, like, uh, Trump is pretty much acting as a dictator, so... Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Anything else for culture Sorry. catch up? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, yeah. So I watched a film and then I um, listened to an album, completely random album, and it's called uh, What Kinda Music? And it's an album by Tom Mish and Yusuf Days. Um, it was randomly recommended um, on Spotify. 
I don't know why, because I don't really listen to jazz. I don't really listen to R&B. But yeah, uh, so uh, Tom Mish is a guitarist and an R&B producer. And Yusuf Days is a jazz drummer, apparently one of the best jazz drummers in the world. So it's a really, really interesting album. Um, From the title, What Kind of Music?, you go, well, what kind of music? Because it's so eclectic and there's jazz, hip hop, uh, electronica. And um, from what I read, they kind of, they, they, it w- it, there's a lot of jamming. So their, their songs kind of like were created together in jamming sessions, which yeah. I thought it was really interesting. And you can kind of, you can kind of like hear that. And um, it's got great, he, um, Tom Mish has got great vocals he's got really good voice and is a really really um well done album like the the drum like the the drums are beautiful and he's um Yusuf Days is amazing uh, in fact I'm gonna like follow them a little bit more because I never heard of them before uh, didn't know who they were and so I'm really glad that Spotify uh, recommended me this album it's yeah. like really atmospheric, uh, really immersive. It's just got really good vibes and it's a good song. I listened to it about three or four times this week because it's really, really good. And um, I definitely would recommend it. Tom Mish and Yusuf Day's What Kind of Music. And then, then, and then, and then, I thought, I haven't listened to uh, some K-pop in a while. And oh. Blackpink have just released an album and it's called the album so i listened to that <laughs> okay yeah what's, what's a black pink a black pink is a k-pop uh band yeah a k-pop okay. band um formed by uh, k-pop is a korean pop um which is now very very popular in the west and um, them and bts kind of broke the west haven't they like they, I, I guess they have, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they're formed in, by YG Entertainment, which is like the biggest uh, K-pop. What were they called? K-pop entertainment company, and they mm. uh, they have loads of um, loads of bands. And uh, my favorites were Big Bang, which oh. I loved, but now they're, they're covered in controversy. Um, and oh. um, uh, 21, which I also loved. And I haven't really enjoyed any K-pop bands since then. But I thought, well, come on, give, 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 Blackpink, a, give Blackpink a go. And um, I didn't mind it. It was good. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it was good. It's just... Uh, uh, they know what the mar- well in uh, YG Entertainment and K-pop um, companies know what the market wants. Uh, they know mm-hmm. what the market needs. They follow. Uh, they what well, they produce good songs. Um, in this album, there is a song written by Selena Gomez and Ariana Grande, and. Um, and also there's Cardi B in the album. So, you know, they, they're just getting people that are popular everywhere. And they've uh, they've created a good album, I think. And it's okay. their debut album. Um, it's their first album. Yeah, debut. Wow. Yeah, I think I think they just released songs. 
until now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and they just they just they're just good, entertaining. You could just bo- like bop your like head, and it's uh, it's 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 good. I would listen. I would I would recommend to listen to it if you like. You never listen to K-pop. This is a good example of how K-pop works. You know, um, classic, just singing Korean with some like English words, and then there'll be a rapping bit done by a Korean girl or a boy, and it's good. Yeah, is it going to convince anyone that doesn't like K-pop? Maybe, 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 mm. maybe. Mm. You never mm. know. You never know. You know, it's, it's got also uh, David Guetta is one of the producers in it as well. No, thank you. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, I thought I'll give it a go because you know, <laughs> it, I think I think we should like talk about all cultures, and I think K-pop is so big now in the West, and uh, I w- I wish Big Bang would have been the ones breaking the West. Uh, but the ones the the first one to actually like be really popular in the West was Psy with Gangnam Style. Uh, yeah, to be yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then then unfortunately, um, Big Bang, which was another K-pop band or uh, boy K-pop band, um, they had to go in military service. So before they become became super popular abroad, they had to break up and then so now we have BTS and Blackpink not the best mm. but okay mm. i mm. i think yeah but yeah i would i would recommend to listen to this album it's not, it's not bad okay cool cool yeah. cool yeah. blackpink yeah. blackpink and the last album i listened to it's been a very Ooh. busy week with album listening yeah. um is a new album released by fleet foxes Oh, you do you know Fleet sure. Foxes? Yes, I do. Yes, uh, which was released on the twenty second of September, which is mm. uh, the autumnal equinox. So it's kind oh, of like, yeah. A, yeah. So you know, um, uh, if you like Fleet Fox, if you like Fleet Fox, if you like Fleet Foxes, you'll probably like this album. It's good, classic Fleet Foxes sound. Um, it's a bit. Um, nostalgic and full of emotion and yeah i i liked it it was good it was a good listen but it's fleet foxes so it's kind of you like fleet foxes um so i li- i did listen to this album and i've listened to other fleet foxes albums and if i'm being totally honest in my opinion fleet foxes are like bonnie there with all of the interesting production ideas stripped away yeah i guess i guess i guess you're yeah, I guess I can agree with that because I was listening to it and I thought, why do I not listen to Fleet Foxes more? But just because they, they do blend into the background and you don't really... Oh, yeah. Uh, background music, for sure. I mean, and I'm not being... I don't, I don't hate them or dislike them. Uh, and now I'm on a podcast talking to myself by myself. <laughs> That's that's chaos theory. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I don't dislike Fleet Foxes, and they do have some fun songs. But it does it does blend into the background a little bit for me. And yeah. Like if I'm in the mood, if I'm in the mood for Fleet Foxes, I'm almost definitely in the mood more for Bonnie Vare. So I tend to just listen to Bonnie Vare. 
Um, and fa- have you ever listened to Father John Misty? Uh, no, I haven't. You should maybe check him out. He used to be, I mean, years ago, I think on maybe their first album, maybe even before their first album, he was the drummer, mm. I think, for Fleet Foxes. Okay. And then he went off in his own direction and he does these really kind of quite strange albums. Uh, I think many piano lad. I think he plays piano a lot. Um, but yeah, he's quite interesting. Father John Misty, worth a listen. But uh, yeah, so overall positive on the new Fleet Foxes album? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Um, I agree. I, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I think I was wondering if there was something was missing and it is, it is. It's just something, a little, something is missing from Fleet Foxes. They're not the yeah. greatest. But I enjoyed the album. Uh, it was, it's quite autumnal. So it kind of, it, it's good with the mood right now. So yeah, but you know definitely um yeah yeah and that's it for me really i've uh yeah so you mean to tell me that you didn't watch avengers endgame this week oh no oh no alex i need the time you've you've had a week you've had a full week yeah i had a full week but also there's been things this week you know I like listening to Work, Blackpink. editing drawing <laughs> george i haven't been playing this same video game six times Ah, such a good game. I love it. Uh, Cool. No, that's great. Awesome. I want to watch Bombshell, actually. I I need to... I should give that a watch, finally. Um, Definitely. Definitely. And talk more about that. Mm -hmm. So, sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. Now. Homework time. Homework time. Homework time. Um, it was my job this week to watch the film Shoplifters due to your yes. adoration for the Japanese film director Hirokazu Koreeda. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, yep. Um, also constantly features one of your favourite actresses, Kirin yep. Kiki. Yes. Um, oh. Yeah. Shoplifters is a movie came out in 2018, I believe. Mm. 2018, uh, won the Palm Door at Cannes Film Festival, so a very highly critically um, praised film. Mm-hmm. Quite controversial, I think. I think it's the it's the only time a Japanese film has won a big award like that, and then the director hasn't been congratulated by the Japanese Prime Minister. I think I read something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it wasn't wasn't really what the Japanese government want people to view Japan. As yes, it, it presents a view of, J- of Japanese society that maybe they'd rather people not be aware of um, yeah. so much. It's a film about a makeshift family of uh, mm-hmm. six, well, initially five and then six people who come to live together in the grandmother's house, but she's not actually their grandmother by blood in any way. She's just, they call her grandmother and they kind of live off they live off a combination of her pension and then things they shoplift from shops hence the title of the film shoplifters yep. mm-hmm. um and what do you what do you think of shoplifters is um, it one of your favorite korea films no no um i like it i really like it um it's sad uh but i i think when i watched it i didn't feel like it had the same essence that Koreeda usually has in films but I'm not sure if because when something has got such a hype my expectations are so high um mm. although I like it it's not it's definitely not my favorite 
I, I like the the idea of it and I like the fact that family doesn't really have to be related by blood but yeah. also the character of the dad is so difficult to like that in a way you you kind of are always kind of a bit on the edge I think hmm yeah I I really liked it oh good I thought it was really good um mm. I know what you mean because I definitely, I think, because I've seen one of his other movies, Our Little Sister, mm. which is about a uh, a group of three sisters whose mm. dad dies and then they discover that they have a half-sister they didn't know about and they kind of bring her into their family. And it's quite interesting how similar the two films are. Like a lot of the mm. themes yeah. he looks at are very similar in terms of like you can choose your family in some ways. Yeah. And looking after each other and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Obviously, Our Little Sister has much less of a dramatic plot in a way because there's no crime, there's no criminal mm. element to any of it. It's just yeah. seeing some people's lives, whereas Shoplifters mm. is very specifically about people who are living on the edge of society and living through crime, which, mm. you know, possibly cynically you might say that's why it got so much more attention than some of his other movies because it has a bit more of a kind of hook to it. I mean, what I really liked about it and I think what came across, like in terms of you really liking him as a director... Mm and as an as an auteur i guess is that he is so clearly interested in character and in the little mm. moments between people and the little interactions people have yeah and he's got absolutely zero interest in like conflict or big controversy so mm. yeah not to give away too much of what happens in the second half of the film, but some quite big dramatic events happen in these people's lives. Mm. But the actual drama, the actual, you know, people being in court maybe for different things and stuff like that, none of that happens on screen. It cuts yeah. across that completely mm. to just show the aftermath for these characters and how what is, ha what is happening to them affects yeah. their lives. And I yeah. think most, I mean... I most films would not be able to resist a good like courtroom scene, and he yeah. just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have any interest in that at all. He just cuts mm. across that completely, and I really like that about his work, is that he really does focus in on the moments in people's lives that kind of define yeah. them. Um, so that's really cool. I really really enjoyed it. Kieran Kiki is fantastic in it, uh, mm. as are all the actors. Yeah. The dad, like you said, the dad is really difficult to like. Yeah. But I liked him. Like. Mm. And I, I love how him and his his wife, they have got a backstory that's led to them being part of that family that's only very kind of briefly touched on yeah. in the second half of the film. Mm. Um, but it gives you so much insight into why they are living this life and why they are the way they are and mm. how they've kind of come to find each other. And it's so, it's fascinating. It's really cool and interesting. And yeah, I'm very glad I watched it. It's it's like like with our I mean it's quite a long film it's two hours long yeah. and again it, even though it is about these people who shoplift it doesn't doesn't have a great deal of conflict or like huge mm. dramatic moments in it it's understated like all of his work but again because he does it so masterfully well yeah it doesn't feel boring at all so mm. no it's great it's a good good movie I think our little sister is better but I I really like shoplifters okay okay your turn so I had to watch uh, Sicario, which yes. uh, because uh, one of your favorite uh, directors is uh, Denis Villeneuve. That's um, the one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, the film is about um, 
this FBI agent who is enlisted by uh, the government, a government task force uh, to help um, the escalati- escalating war against drugs in the, in the border between um, USA and Mexico. That's basically. the one. Mm. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Like she has the, this FBI agent has to has been asked to help. Um, yep. So the film stars, first of all, the film stars um, Emily Blunt, uh, yep. Benicio, Benicio del Toro, um, Josh Brolin, Victor Garber, Gaber, Gaber. Mm. Yes. Garber? Which? Yeah. Garber, who has looked like this for the past, I don't know, like he hasn't <laughs> aged, like he's always looked like this. It's no, bizarre. I know, I know who you mean. Yeah, he does look exactly the same and everything. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, I can't believe like two British actors are in, starring in an American film, doing extremely amazing American accents. So that was really good. Um, so uh, what? So the film is it starts in a really kind of interesting way. Mm. And which kind of sets the kind of tone of the film yeah. uh, of kind of um, it starts with the uh, the FBI doing a raid. And whilst they're doing the raid, they find something in the house, which is pretty horrifying. And that kind of sets the tone of the film. It's go, go, go. Like there's yeah. no sleeping. <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no eating. Uh, there's drinking some beer, but it's pretty much go, 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 isn't it? And very like oppressive, yeah, yeah, and nerve wracking. Um, <laughs> the the camera is very present. The back the camera becomes uh, sometimes one of like part of the film in the sense yeah, of like yeah, yeah. sometimes it's the car uh, going up and down. Sometimes it's like it just the camera is always present. It's pretty interesting that it's just kind of like a part or like maybe a character, um, which I liked very much. Um, yeah. really big wide angle shots of the vastity of <laughs> of the of the desert pretty much um yeah. so lots of like shots from above uh which kind of um add to the kind of dauntingness of the film of what what's going to happen next what, what what is this all about it that does that that was really good um mm. ominous i guess you might say yeah very good it's always feel like they're being observed. Everybody feels like it's being observed, which mm-hmm. I thought that is such a such a because of the war on drugs and the kind of situation. I think that's actually quite accurate to how portray the 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 situation. Like everybody's observed. Every everybody knows everything about everything. I mm. feel and um, yeah, uh, definitely. Benicio, Benicio del Toro is oh. cold. <laughs> <laughs> I, read, I read some trivia and apparently they cut 90% of his lines. And I think that was the best thing they could have done. Yeah, he's very silent, right? Very silent, but so effective. Uh, very, yeah. very, like, you don't know what's good. Because they were saying that he was, a, he, at one point, he was going to explain to Emily Blunt everything that happened to him. But he do, he said, why, why would he? Why would he just meet yeah. this woman and tell her stuff? And yeah. that is so effective. That's how masterful of an actor he is. So I thought that was really good. And the fact that the director 
actually listened to that and I think he is the best character in the film. Benicio Del- yeah, yeah, his character is really fascinating and interesting yeah. and, you know, yeah. what he does by I- the end of the movie. Oh, and what, and oh. We- <laughs> what he does by the end of the movie, I had my hand, I was literally, my hands were in my head, I was like, what? No, no, <laughs> no. No, no, that that didn't just happen. No, uh, so that was that was good. Uh, the soundtrack is really really good. Added really mm. good uh, sense of kind of uh, the dauntingness of the film. Well, it's taking um, the soundtrack helps to take what could just be a standard kind of FBI agents or whatever trying to do drug busts yeah. on the Mexican border. It takes yeah. a film like that and turns it into, like I said last week, almost a horror film. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and unpredict uh, the unpredictability of it was pretty mm. daunting because it was there were such certain things that were happening like when she goes to the bar and she meets uh, some someone and then what happens next? Yeah, just like really unpredictable, which mm. I wasn't expecting at all. Yeah. Um, Emily Blunt, amazing. Uh, how yeah. she portrayed that character that I I just my mind on her changed completely. From the mm. beginning to the end, so she's a great actress or actor, great actor. Um, the scene when they're going into the into the um, tunnel Ugh. with the with the night cam, there with a night vision camera uh, goggles, and you see the footsteps. I don't know if you remember that. Like he chooses some incredible ways to portray certain things. Yeah, uh, which I thought was really, really effective, and kind of not really knowing what's happening, where are they going, what is going on. I thought, yeah, um, what I liked and I appreciated is the film doesn't actually show any proper acts of. There's, it's quite violent, but it doesn't mm. show the violence. The yeah. violence happens off screen. You hear it, you don't see it, and that yeah. for me. Is something that I'm I like because my mind just goes, oh my goodness, what is happening? When Benicio yeah. del Toro is in that room with a big bottle of water, oh yeah, and then <laughs> and then and then the camera pans out, you go, and then you just hear, you go, oh, okay, and so my mind went everywhere, and I thought I think yeah. that is really effective because if your imagination can take you places that, well, you <laughs> other places that you're not really. I don't know. I think imagination it's quite, it's is very, important. Yeah, and it's brave for a director, I think, to be willing to give the audience that kind of uh, trust and faith that they'll go along yeah. with you. Yeah, and in a way, you know that the war on drugs is terrible. And you know mm. the war on drugs is uh, it's brutal. You don't have to see it. You you know it. So I feel it's a really intelligent way to kind of like say, it's, yeah, it's brutal and you know it. I'm not going to show it, but you can imagine it. And I think he did a really good job with that. Um, all in all, is I, I found the film really good. I thought it was a really good film. Um, it it was effective. There's no real ending because it hasn't <laughs> ended. Uh, exactly. Because the war on drugs drugs carries on. Um, who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? Uh, you don't know because it's just such a such a you know messed up war that one mm. because it's both parties america and mexico are involved are heavily involved and yep. also uh you know if if america just did other things maybe the war on drugs would stop 
but you know that's another conversation to have um it is but no indeed. i I've, but i i thought it was really good good cast good people um i i liked the the way the shots he did um what's his name i liked dennis villeneuve's kind of big wide angle shots looking down feeling like you're always being observed um like you're you're part you're part of the film and you know the scene where they they are at the at the border i thought that was pretty that was brilliant yeah um, i was going to say that's like a big standout sequence in the movie where yeah. they're in the cars going back across and you can just feel the tension just rising yeah. with each moment yeah. yeah yeah so i i th- i thought i thought it i thought it was it's good really good film i i i enjoyed it highly enjoyed it I am very glad. Yeah. It would be interesting for you to watch the sequel. Um, oh, is there a sequel as well? Yeah, there's a sequel called Sicario Soldado. Okay. Emily Blunt didn't come back and Denis Villeneuve didn't come back, but Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin do come back. Mm. And it's not a bad film, but I think it's interesting to watch that to kind of get a real sense of what that director brought to the first film. And what okay. that kind of movie is without that voice behind the camera, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it's a good, it's an entertaining film, but it's like an entertaining kind of action thriller rather than the very ominous, odd thing that he created mm. with the first film. Yeah, um, because it is, it is, it is, it was an odd portrayal of the war on drugs, but I think it's quite a realistic portrayal because yeah. it's not always action packed. It's also. Mm taking one person from one place to the next and trying to not get killed and how many people how many people are involved people are involved in this and you don't know who to trust who do not to trust who's watching you who's yeah it was um it was good and i love benicio he's amazing yeah he is he's so good he really is yeah yeah so yeah i liked it a lot Good, I'm glad. You should watch some more of his movies. Yeah, I will. I'll try. I will. Particularly, Denis uh, Villeneuve. Is he French? He is French. French-Canadian, I think. I can't believe I said De- Dennis. Oh, my God. I'm so, uh, so Dennis, British. Denis. Oh, Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Villeneuve. Um, Villeneuve. <laughs> yeah, so what would be good? Prisoners. Prisoners. If you're going to watch another one of his movies, check out Prisoners with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. That is... Yeah. Oh, so and also good. I have to watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So, yeah, well, that's that's a brilliant movie as well. Worth a watch. Ryan Gosling kills it in that film. Awesome. Ryan Gosling kills it everywhere. Yeah, he does. He's great. Um, he is the dude. Five, four, three, two, one. Our top five. Okay, awesome source. So, I'll start in at number five for me. Yeah. Uh, it's quite an obvious choice, but it, I can't do a list of my favourite books and not put this on it. So it's in at number five. It is Northern Lights by Philip Pullman. Oh, I've got that one as well. Oh, have you? Oh, yeah. Is it a number not five? Not number five, though. No. Oh, interesting. So should yeah. we talk about it now? Of course. Okay. It's the absolute best. I adore the, the hell out of this book. Yeah. It is the story of Lyra, a young girl who lives in Oxford in an alternate reality. Um, yeah where everyone has a demon, which is like oh. uh, the physical manifestation of their soul. Mm. 
Uh, when you're a child, yeah. it can it can kind of form any into the appearance of any animal it wants. And then as you grow up and go through puberty, it kind of settles on a permanent form. But yeah. Lyra's still a child, so her demon can yeah. change. Demon's name mm-hmm. is Pantalaemon. And yeah. I think generally your demon will be the... Op- not op- If you're a girl, your demon will be a boy and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Yes, if so, you're a boy, demon will be a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's... And as she basically goes on a journey to discover the origins of something called dust and it takes mm-hmm. in um kind of even though it's a, it's a children's book but it yeah. ends up kind of really looking in on religion organized mm-hmm. religion and quite a lot of big themes and it's quite critical of a lot of quite adult ideas yeah and it really respects its audience to kind of go with it and understand it which is really good for a children's book and it which yeah. is why even now today as an adult I still really enjoy reading it and I read it every few years cuz uh it's Absolutely. the best it's also part of a series of books called His Dark Materials the original yeah. trilogy was uh followed up by The Subtle Knife and then The Amber Spyglass and now in recent years he's doing a new trilogy called the Book of Dust trilogy. The first of those was La Belle Sauvage. Yeah. And the second is The Secret Commonwealth. And the third isn't out yet. So we'll find out more about that in the coming years. Hi, hi. Hi, hi. So what do you think of Northern Lights? I I absolutely love Northern Lights. I, I, I didn't read it as a child. I read it as an adult. Um, in my mid-twenties. And mm. I... It loves the fact that it could be read by a child and you could just imagine this beautiful world and be read by a adult and imagine this beautiful world. I don't know how he writes things is so incredible. And the idea of having a demon that is there with you and you have to look after it and to be separated from it then causes well, basically death. It's just kind of such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah, the demons... Um... Because I don't, I, I, well, in the new trilogies doing, the demons seem to play a bigger part of the overall story. But in the original trilogy, they're important. But especially in that first book in Northern Lights, I don't know. The demons are important to the story, but they almost, they feel like they're bigger than the book as well, in a way. Like they're just such an amazing idea. Mm, and yeah. they you just as soon as you find out about the world and it describes what demons are and stuff, you just feel like you want a demon of your own, and yeah, it's just a yeah. it's just a wonderful idea. Exactly, and, really and that's does... I think how how he does it. And I think Philip Pullman as a person, he's so he's not scared to to write for children about real things, mm. about death and about um, things that are wrong, and about uh, adults being bad he's not scared and he's not scared of um when you then further read the trilogy he's not scared of showing kids growing up and having the feelings that they're going to have and Mm -hmm. i think i really appreciate that about him as a writer yeah and his writing's very warm as well i find yeah it's very cozy to read mm. a, a Philip Pullman book particularly one of the his dark materials books yeah Um, and his voice is very his yeah. voice is very, yeah. It is. What's your favorite character in Northern Lights? Uh, my favorite car- character in Northern Lights, probably. Um, I can never say his name. Sozabi, the 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 cowboy, basically. Lee, is it Lee Sozabi? Lee Sozabi. Maybe. Yeah. I know who you mean. 
Yeah. With it with the, the hot air balloon. Yeah, I love the fact that he had a, has a hot hair balloon and he's just a a nice man and I like I like the impact that he she, he has on Lyra and I just I just I I just always remembered him as I just a really nice kind-hearted man. Lee Scoresby. That's why I really liked him. Hmm? Lee Scoresby. Lee Scoresby. Mm. Like he I love great. Lyra and I love the kind of child she is, but you know it's kind of like, you know, what well, Lyra is what my favorite character, I think, but I think after Lyra because I think Lyra is such a cool kid that she's a girl and she's has she doesn't she does her things as she does her things. She's not scared. Um but after Lyra, Lyra probably Lee Scoresby because I think he's such a cool character. Yeah. He is a cool character. Who's your character? I, my favorite character as well. Well, I, like you just said Lyra's kind of the everyone. I mean Lyra, but then if yeah. you separate her um, I can never. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Iarek Bernison, the okay. king of the armored bears, is was always oh, my favorite cool. character. Yeah, yeah. Um, in oh, fact, the armored my f- bears. Mm, sorry, I just my love f- the book. Just yeah. my favorite thing, I think, in that first book is the sequence where she has to get his armor back for him, for him mm. to agree to join them, and yeah. then the idea that f- for th- like they have a demon, and for him, his armor is his equivalent Mm. of a demon like it's more than just armor to him i think it's such a beautiful idea and then also there's just like as a as a young boy reading that book the idea of a polar bear with armor that could talk was the coolest thing yeah so yeah i love eric bernison panzer bjorn the king of svalbard yeah amazing stuff i really yeah yeah, i love him it's just an amazing book and when it ends you just want to just go straight to the next book you just want to know what what's going to happen well just beautiful yeah yeah great book Mm. great minds man great minds indeed what's your number five my number five it's um uh a blast from the past children's book uh which i love and i make my my students love and i think i put it in because i think it had such an impact on me when I was a kid that and it, it could be so impactful in, on kids today and I know with my students that I had to put it in and it's Matilda by Roald Dahl Ah, yeah uh, so for if nobody knows what Matilda is uh, Matilda is a girl that is very very intelligent and uh, she can do anything she um she could do problems. She can read uh, Dickens by the age of five, and uh, she. But she has very uh, not intelligent and not caring parents, and um, because of her intelligence, she uh, tricks her parents a lot in a way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and um, she. But has they, deserve, a, they deserve to be tricked. They do deserve to be tricked because they are awful to her because Matilda is really lovely and all she does is read books and uh yeah and she's got a lovely teacher called Miss Honey in her classroom uh who uh, wants her to like uh go to a higher class but then the headmaster um 
Principal uh, Trunchbull, who is a former hammer throwing champion who flings children uh, <laughs> and when she's angry. Uh, she uh, doesn't allow her to do that. Uh, but yeah, it's just a lovely book, and I've, I'll always remember it to be amazing. And um, uh, I love uh, the illustrations by Quentin Blake, which I've always oh. gone really together with uh, Roald Dahl's books and um, I love the way that Roald Dahl writes things uh, and uh, yeah I just I think it's a lovely incredible book and I think it's my favorite Roald Dahl book uh, yeah and that's it's, uh, Matilda it's probably my favorite Roald Dahl book thinking about it mm. yeah because it's just so good and um, yeah it's just lovely, isn't it? It's just a lovely, yeah. wonderful book. Yeah, yeah, it is. A good choice, think, Alex. A strong, and I think choice. with Roald Dahl books, they you children can still read them now and still enjoy them now. And I think that's yeah. how amazing he is. And still, yeah, 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 mo yeah, mostly, yeah. Yeah, he's a good author. He sometimes, hmm. No, I don't. I've got, I've, <laughs> I've got, a, I've got a massive problem with um, David Walliams and his children's books. Okay, I've never read them. So I had to, I had to read some once as part of my job. Okay. And he very much, I think, takes inspiration from Roald Dahl, but he. Okay. He does the thing that I think. Roald Dahl did in some of his books, but now is less acceptable in terms of equating, like directly equating the physical appearance of somebody with their quality of their character. Do you see what I mean? Okay. So like ugly people are bad people and beautiful people are good people. Like the twits is okay. kind of an example of that with Roald Dahl. Yeah. But David Williams does it in a, and I, 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 David Williams does it in a way where it's like working class people are ugly and gross mm. and he's illustrate it's very classist it's just i just don't find it it doesn't put the right messages across the children for me and i okay and it, the only reason i bring it up in relation to roald dahl is because he gets the person who does his illustrations it, it might even be i don't think it is quentin blake but the illustrations in his books look just like quentin blake illustrations yeah and it yeah, all seems that. very crudely mm and cynically done in order to make him appear like a modern-day Roald Dahl, and it drives me bonkers. I cannot stand it <laughs> at all. I hate I hate his children's literature. I think it's, I think it's mm. bad and evil and puts the wrong messages across the children. And some, mm. of, some of Roald Dahl's writing is slightly problematic as well in that regard, but it, for the time he wrote it, um, I think mm. it can be more excused, whereas David Williams is doing this today. And mm. it's just gross. But I adore Roald Dahl. Some issues yeah. coming up in recent years in terms of his anti-Semitism, which are awful and won't be defended. But uh, his children's literature is not good. Yeah, what? he was a, he was an anti-Semite. Oh, what? Yeah, sorry. I did not know that. I'm and sorry. Not like, not like an accused anti-Semite, like a self-confessed anti-Semite. Like he, he admitted what? to being an, an anti-Semite. Oh, yeah. Why? How did I not know that? George, you need to tell me these things. I put it, I put it 
I put one of his books by number but five. But it's fine. I mean, it's not fine for him to be like that, but Matilda no. is still an incredible piece of work and a classic piece of children's literature. I've certainly got somebody on my list later on who whose personal opinions I strongly disagree with. So, you know, the art the, the art is separate from the artist in some cases. Yeah. So yeah. in this case... I do not, I do not condone Roald Dahl. I'm being sure an anyone that's listened all. to enough of our podcast can understand <laughs> that you don't condone Roald Dahl's anti-Semitism. I did um, not know that. Why? Yeah, just, it's awful. It can't like even at the time he was alive, it can't be excused. But he is he is dead yeah. now, so you know. Yeah. He's dead. He can't do any more harm, and some of his books are wonderful. And yeah. Let's, let's yeah. leave it there. Okay. And including Matilda, I wouldn't argue. With you. I would. I would have Matilda on my list happily. I just hadn't thought of it. And in fact, oh, oh well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's your number five, yeah. Yes, my number five is Matilda. Cool. My number four is um, again an absolute. These are all quite nostalgic for me. These book choices, in a way. Mm. Um, because they've kind of defined different parts of my life and different eras of my life. This is one I read when I was a teenager. And mm. thought it was the one of the funniest things I'd ever read. I fell in love with it, and I still love it to this day. And it is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah, cool. By Douglas Adams. Have you read that book? No, no, I okay. haven't. It's a it's a sci fi comedy book about uh, Arthur Dent, an Earthling, who one day wakes up and the Earth is demolished uh, to make way for an interstellar bypass. But he is saved at the last moment by his best friend, Ford Prefect, who it turns out is secretly an alien. And they escape and go on adventures through the galaxy with the help of their companion book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which leads them on their way. And they meet characters along the way like um, Zaphod Beeblebrox and Marvin, the paranoid android. And it's just a very funny book. And it contains the ultimate answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything, which is 42 and to this day, mm. if anyone asks me what my favourite number is, I say 42, like the <laughs> ridiculous nerd that I am. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... I don't know what else to say about the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They made a... They made a beat, the BBC made a TV show of it in, like, the 70s, I think, which is dated but, but quite entertaining. They made a film of it a few years ago with Martin Freeman, which is a bit less good. Mm. Uh, okay. Not really worth anyone's time, but the book itself is just delightful. Douglas Adams was a was a very funny man, and um, it just holds up. It just holds up as a really funny, entertaining book. It doesn't really care too much about any plot, um, although it is there are four more books after it. It's famously like the collection is called the trilogy in five parts, and as it goes along, it gets kind of less and less good. But that first mm. book is 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 magnificent and wonderful, and just has some really funny ideas in it. Um and yeah no I like it a lot you should read it everyone should read it The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams definitely forty two great choice thank you forty two oh yeah because one of the yeah the the heart like there's a big thing in it where they steal this spaceship called the Heart of Gold which has I think it's powered by do they call it an infinite probability engine to do with like mm. the likelihood of the ship being anywhere in the universe is is the same infinite probability so they can kind of make it teleport across the galaxy it's a mm. very it's weird and like there's a bit where it makes a because it because it it creates a it creates a, a shield around it where anything can happen essentially so they arrive in this place and they also make like a bowl of a vase of petunias and a whale appear in the sky and then there's this whole there's this whole <laughs> bit about just like 
as the whale is brought into existence, everything that goes on, everything that it thinks about between mm. it appearing in the sky and then landing and exploding and dying. And in its head, it's thinking like, oh, what's happened? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm some kind of animal. I'm some kind of big animal. I'll call myself a whale. That's what I'll be. I'll be a whale. And what's this thing coming near me? It's big and it's flat and it's round. It's round. I'll call it the ground. Yes, that's right, the ground. Oh, it's coming up very fast. And it just, it's just so funny. And oh, I love it. It's wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. It's, it is amazing. Oh, it's the best. So yeah, yeah, no, there we go. The Hitchhiker's Galaxy. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is uh, my first of my two Japanese entries. Okay. Um, you know, you know, I love the author Banana Yoshimoto. Yeah. I do know you love the author yes. Banana Yoshimoto. And uh, so I've I would have put a I, I I she is not on my list anymore, which <gasps> is crazy because she I, I don't know she introduced me to uh, Japanese. Well, Japanese modern Japanese literature, and um, she's always she, been, she like, wrote Kitchen. My, she wrote Kitchen, which is one of my favorite books. But uh, this book, um, I had to make a, a tough decision. So um, this book uh, made me make a tough decision about Banana Yoshimoto, which oh, no. is kind of sad because I read, like I said, I was trying to figure out how many books of Banana Yoshimoto I've read, and I read all of her books translated into English or Italian. So wow. <laughs> I love wow, her. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, but I really enjoyed this book. Uh, and it's a book um, written by Sayaka Murata. And it's called Convenience Store Woman. Have you heard okay. of it? No. Uh, okay. So uh, Convenience Store Woman is about um, is about the story of a 36-year-old Keiko uh, Furuka. Who... Uh, no. Keiko... Furukura, uh, who um, she doesn't really fit in. She doesn't fit in her family. She doesn't fit in in school. Uh, she doesn't fit in Japanese society as uh, what uh, a 36-year-old Japanese woman should be doing. Um, and she works uh, in um, uh, part-time in a convenience store. Yeah, uh, the, which is, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Wikipedia the Wikipedia page for the book the one of the first lines it just says it captures the atmosphere of the familiar convenience store that is so much part of life in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Is that true? Is that yeah. accurate? It is accurate and true. Wow. And yeah, I yeah, and that's and what and that's why it's in it because it just kind of reminded me uh, because I've read so much Banana Yoshimoto before I went to Japan and. Then I read this after going to Japan. This kind of like made me really nostalgic and it was so well written of how like the convenience store is and convenience store is such a massive part of your life when you live in Japan. Oh, you know, Alex, that's the first place. You know what? me. You know how much I love a good <laughs> convenience store in Japan. Yeah. You spend so much time there and I think you, the, your first, the, well, at least when I got there, my first big, sh my, my first shopping for food was at the convenience store. Um, the girl working in the convenience store basically knew me by the end and when I left, it was really sad. You know, that was my place. Um, hangover food, uh, drunk food, uh, coffee in the morning, like anything was in the convenience store, oh. wasn't it? Oh, it oh, was just so... the best part. Where I was living, and... there was the nearest convenience store was about a five-minute walk away. And then during yeah. my first year, do you remember, they built and opened in the space of about a month, a 7-Eleven, about 30 yeah. seconds from my front door. <laughs> yeah. 
and it was yeah i could i could go back to that apartment and live there for the rest of my life and only go to that convenience store and be yeah. just the happiest yeah. pig in the farm <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah and it's it's about it's about her life in the convenience store and she follows uh, and she can fit in this convenience store because she follows the rules of how to um greet people irashaimase and stuff like that and how how many chopsticks she needs to put in the bag and how to place the bag so she doesn't fit in outside the convenience store but she fits totally in this convenience store because there are rules that she can follow and um and yeah and um it's about not fitting in japanese society and trying to get a get away of not fitting in that society and i think it's a brilliant book and oh, i love it a bit it. like and shoplifters yeah yeah i guess so i guess so yeah definitely and um yeah it's it she's 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 happy but everybody around her seems to think that she, if she did other things she would be happier you know you know like uh if you should get married and you should have children you should have a proper job because in in japan working in a convenience store is not a proper job like you could work 40 hours in a convenience store and they'll still call it um part-time because it's not mm. a proper job so it's called like harubaito and that's not what you're supposed to do you're supposed yeah. to have a proper job but then and you do you go, you do go into so many convenience stores in Japan where you can tell the people who work in there really take it seriously and want to do a yeah. good job yeah and that's and, what keiko does oh, and it's brilliant I, like keiko. It's, I love her it's brilliant and uh, the author is kind of autobiographical so the author kind of like works worked i don't know if she still works in a in a in a convenience store um three days a week and which in japan they call them kombini and oh, yeah kombini. and i love it because the convenience store was major part of our lives when we were there um you know we got we went dr- out drinking and drank outside the convenience store you know that was pa- that was also a bar you know it was everything it was it, it was our food oh. It was our entertainment. It was our. It was just. It was just beautiful, and I, I, I really enjoyed this book because it just, it just reminded me of that. But also, it showed how Japanese society wants you to be a certain way, and how you don't necessarily have to fit in. But the ways you don't, and also the ways you you can avoid not fitting in. So I think it's a brilliant book, and that's why it. It just pushed away Banana Yoshimoto, which I'm really sad about, but I love it. Cool. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, great. Mm. And that's my number four, Convenience Store Woman. Cool. Okay, good. Right. Now, my number three. So... Uh, if you were worried about the fact you found out Roald Dahl was an anti-Semite about having him on your <laughs> list, don't yeah. panic, Alex, because I'm about to oh, put somebody put on my Oh, can I put banana back in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to put somebody on my at my number three spot who is far more problematic. Okay. Uh, my number three favourite book of all time is The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Okay. Lovecraft. Ha ha. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. What do you know about H.P. Lovecraft? Oh, God, think... so many reasons. Just the name of his dog is a start. Was he not, like, a massive racist? Yeah. And, like, he wrote a book 
and like then you find out that the monster or like the evil force was a black person a black now this woman. is i've told uh, this is something i have told you about this yeah yeah you told me about this yeah so a, yeah, yeah i i yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but it, i know because of you told me yeah. like i didn't yeah I I have read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. I've read everything, every novel, short story thing he ever wrote. Um, other than I think there's like some book you can get that's like little scraps of ideas he had. I don't, I've not read that, but other than that, I've read basically everything he ever released. I adore him completely. No, I don't. I adore his work completely. Yeah, you don't he, adore him. <laughs> he as a person was deeply problematic. He was he was a racist. Some of his books mm. you've just described one there. I think that one's called Medusa's the Medusa Coil horrible because mm. all of his books pretty much or most of his stories end with the protagonist discovering something that drives them insane that's kind of how most of his stories end yeah. and in the case of the medusa coil the one you just referenced um it is his discovery that this woman he's in love with um it was is a is a black woman and he didn't realize it which is which is racist it yeah. is racist and indefensible even for the time in which it was written mm. However, that's 100% not the book that is on my list uh, for, for many reasons, but that one primarily. He also has this ability to write, and it probably is fueled by a similar thing that fuels fueled his kind of xenophobia, um, which, mm. I mean, xenophobia and racism were rife in the time he lived, but equally yeah. there were people in time he lived that were against that, and he was not one of them. So, I, you know, you mm. don't defend him by saying it was the time, he, you know, some people say supposedly nearer to the time he died, he was sort of coming around on the idea that racism was bad and maybe if he'd lived longer, he could have like reformed a bit. I don't know. His work is his work. Um, he has this incredible ability to write about the unknown in a way that nobody else manages. And without mm. the work he did in horror fiction in his time, people like Stephen King and um, Clive Barker and other huge names in horror in more recent years probably wouldn't have quite been able to do what they did without him laying the groundwork first. So I, I think he is incredible um, as a writer. The Call of Cthulhu is sort of his most well-known book or his most well-known story. It concerns um, somebody, like a lot of his stories, it's about somebody discovering a trove of letters or manuscripts or documents and then reading through them to kind of discover this horrible truth that led to somebody else dying. Uh, mm. And in this case, he's, he's discovering the um, story of a, a cult that worships a strange old god. And it just it just contains all these turns of phrase that I adore. Stuff like... Um, uh, like things that these cultists say, one of them is, that is not dead which can eternal lie, and with strange eons even death may die. I, that is just such... Mm. I just love it. I just love it. Um, uh, we live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. Come on. Come on. Mm. How good is that? Um, <laughs> or the um, the one of the things the cultists say is, Thunglui Maglunath Cthulhu Rilie Wigar Nagal Fatan, which obviously doesn't mean anything, but translated supposedly means in his house at Rilie, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. How can he how can he he's he's dead, how can he wait dreaming? It's so weird. I love it. I absolutely adore it. 
Mm. Um, so the story is about this guy discovering the cult and kind of trying to find get to the bottom of what Cthulhu is. And it talks about cyclopean architecture and non-Euclidean geometry and all the wonderful things that Lovecraft does. <laughs> and um, yeah, and and yeah, I just it's emblematic of all of his work because really, you know, he didn't write any full-on novels. Uh, the mm. Curious Case of Charles Dexter Ward, I think, is one of his longer pieces of work, but I don't like it as much as these shorter stories. Um, the Shadow Over Innsmouth would, was another strong contender for this list, but ultimately I went with The Call of Cthulhu because it is sort of what he's named after. And also, because mm. uh, his kind of work is known as the Cthulhu myth- mythos, because all of his novels supposedly take place in the same world where all of these great old ones, these ancient gods that we're not meant to know about exist and drive people insane. Mm. And then Stephen King, all of his novels kind of are meant to kind of take place in a connected world. And again, he got that sort of idea, the impetus for that idea came from Lovecraft. And then in more recent times, the, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, again, it's all this idea of a connected mythology that Lovecraft mm, yeah. kind of really started, kick-started that idea. Mm. Uh, and I think he has to be given a lot of credit for that. Um, and yeah, no, I, I kind of, I kind of, I'm a bit obsessed with Lovecraft and his work. Uh, it's, it's deeply troubling and problematic, the personal views he held, but, um, as a writer, he is to be, um, I don't know, liked as a writer only. What, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think like he's, so he, did he write about monsters and stuff? Oh yeah, and definitely. About the unknown? Yes. Okay. So do you think if you hadn't been like have hadn't been racist, do you think you would have been able to write that? Do you think that's connected? I think it's definitely connected. I think if you're mm. examining him as a person and him as a writer, his yeah. fear of foreigners, his fear of 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 the other, yeah, um, certainly influenced his ability to write about otherworldly, surreal, unknown things. I think the two things are linked. Um, if you're looking at him, you know, academically as, yeah. in, in terms of what inspired his work. But it's, mm. it's there's, there's a, you know, when he's, when he's in, when his kind of personal views come really far into his work in stories, like I think there's one called The Murder at Red Hook and then The Medusa mm. Coil. There's one called The Street, which is ugh, awful. Um, mm. That's when it's, you know, I, I will, I, you know, those books have, those stories have no merit to them at all and are awful. Yeah. Uh, but stories like the Call of Cthulhu, and the Call of Cthulhu has some problematic, um, some troubling elements as well. But they aren't as mm. integral to the plot as, uh, say, the Medusa Coil or the the Trouble at Red Hook. What's called that? But yeah. What? Where, where? Where is he from? Where was uh, he from? He was from sort of northeastern America. Okay. The United States from kind of not, I don't think it was from Maine, but kind of that area of America, okay. um, New New England sort of area of America. Interesting. It'd be interesting mm. to read, actually, because I've never, I, I know about Cthulhu and, you know, I've heard of him from you and from other people, but I've never, I don't know, I've never read him. Yeah, I mean, I think when you, I think... I think when you read his writing and the way he was able to write and the turns of phrase he used and stuff, I think you start to see why he's still kind of a, a relevant um, voice in popular culture, even you know mm. so many years after his death and with so many problematic um, elements to him. Uh, and yeah. you know his work is now in um, 
what do we call it? You know, him him or his family don't profit from anyone enjoying his work now because it's in the public uh, space. Okay. So it's just, oh, okay. you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So what's your number three? My uh, number three is a book um, published in 1985 by Canadian author Margaret Atwood and it's called The Handmaid Tale. Okay. Yeah. Have you read it? Do you know, I've I've read about probably f- between 30 and 50 pages of it. Okay. Um, so maybe not your cup of tea. No, 100% my <laughs> cup of tea. It, I okay. didn't stop reading it due to not liking it. I think it was due to... It wasn't the right. It wasn't the right book for that point okay. in time. If you see what I mean, but I, I, I fully intend to go back and read it properly at some point. Yeah, definitely do. Because okay, so um, it's a kind of dystopian novel, yeah. and is set in uh like a future near New England, in um a totalitarian state called Gilead. And um, which uh, is like has overthrown the United States government. Mm -hmm. And it's um, it's the story of um, Hofred, which is the main character, Mm -hmm. who's a a handmaid in uh, this Republic of Gilead. And um, uh, and a handmaid is a woman that lives in a house uh, with um, a commander and his wife and her role is uh to basically make children for the commander mm. yeah that's is that, is that a spoiler no 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 i think that's kind of known yeah, yeah. and um so um women have no rights and women are just there uh to uh make children and to uh, either serve or well, if you're the commander's wife, you you're quite high up. If you're handmaid, uh, uh, you're quite high up as well. Especially if you make a child, um, and then um, yeah, and as a woman, you're only viable if you can produce children. If not, yeah. then you're just a nothing. And um, uh, the book has flashbacks. Um, uh, of uh of Fred's um life before Gilead happened and uh during and um which is interesting because w- what what I like about it is how um how in a way how the changes that are happening to then become this totalitarian state was so subtle that mm. nobody really realized and that's why everybody got kind of stuck into yeah. this totalitarian state and in a way being 1985 or being 2020 you can you can see that how like changes is so subtle and then suddenly that thing is happening and you go oh oh i did not notice and i i really i i thought that was really clever i think it's a really interesting and clever book and um and it shows kind of how in a way, uh, the elite can do pretty much what they want. They can have alcohol and sex and prostitutes and pro- prostitutes, prostitutes and and, uh, and prostitutes and eat uh, whatever they want, whilst everybody else uh, is kind of 
suffering and has to wear weird robes and can't drink alcohol and can't do anything and it's it's good because it's it it it, it doesn't explain too much and it kind of um, you, you kind of it's not too wordy it's not too you know sometimes if you have something like that um like for example Haddle Suxley uh, which kind of was was it not was it written pretty much at the same time what as brave new brave world new world Probably, yeah. Um, and yeah. Let me check. I think it's really impressive that she wrote it in 1985 and it is probably more yeah. relevant today than it was when she wrote it almost. Absolutely. It's so relevant now. And um, Brave New World, 1932. No, that was much longer <laughs> ago. Uh, longer before. <laughs> wow. Fair enough. Well... <laughs> whoops uh but that's oh, also about dystopian future oopsie uh but it's so wordy and what i like is just the simplicity on how she writes and how things just happen and it, it shocked me some things really shocked me about this book and mm. i really really liked it and how it was made in 1985 it was made it was written in 1985 and it's so um current and amazing i really enjoyed it and if you should you should definitely read it because it's a really good book and yeah um, i mean i've i've yeah. watched the tv show based on it mm. uh, oh yeah i haven't starring... watched that one is it good have you not watched it no oh it's amazing it's really good the no. handmaid's tale tv no, show no. oh you should check it out elizabeth moss yeah. is amazing in it not quite as good as she's in her smell but yeah. obviously we can't repeat brilliance <laughs> all the time um, who smell? <laughs> but uh, but I love I love yeah. the, I, the the TV show is horrifying, like horrifying in parts. Like seeing some of these scenes mm. from the book, like seeing them filmed yeah. and dramatized yeah. and stuff, is is yeah. awful. Yeah. Makes me feel sick in parts. Um, so I really yeah, because that's it. the thing. There's a scene in the book that you go and. You, you don't know what's going to happen, but you kind of know what's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And you go, what? what how, if it hasn't happened now, when is it going to happen? Like mm. the inevitable is going to happen. But she kind of writes more and makes it very, very um, uh, intense. She creates mm. really intense moments. So you go, oh, my goodness. What? 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 And yeah, she's great. It's a great book. Really good. So, uh, good writer. Have you read? Is it called The Testaments? No, I haven't read that yet. I need to. Okay. I'm interested to know what yeah. that's like. All right. My number two then. Yes. Uh, my number two is my obligatory uh, Stephen King entry on my top five because I love Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And it is the only Stephen King book I could ever pick. It is The Gunslinger. Ooh. Which is the first in the Dark Tower series of books. And... If you want to know why I love it so much, the opening line is everything you need to hear because it's the it's the best opening line to any book ever written, and it is. <laughs> the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. <laughs> it's just awesome. perfect writing. Because the, the rest of the book is that sentence spread out into a story, but that sums up, that tells okay. you... like. It is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve words long, and it it immediately evokes an entire world in your head. There's a desert. There's a man in black. There's a gunslinger. 
He's following him. Why is he following him? It just it just perfectly sets up the book. I I adore it. If I ever got a tattoo, it would be that line tattooed on my body because I think mm. it's an example of perfect writing, and I love it. And the rest of the, the rest of the book is 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 fine as well, <laughs> but it's mainly that one sentence <laughs> that I adore. So you just read that one sentence. A great book. Close the book. Yeah. Have you read The Gunslinger? Oh. No. I've sure? never read Yes. I wondered whether I'd made you read it at some point in the past. I couldn't remember. No, you made me read something with a sword. I don't know what it was called, like the sword oh. of the Oh yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so the, the like Steve, Stephen King's famously yeah. a horror writer. Um but the Dark Tower books are more sort of fantasy, Western sort of books. Mm. But as we were just talking about a minute ago of Lovecraft, because because all of his books exist in the same universe, the Dark Tower is kind of the central mm. spire column of that world that holds all of it together. So as the series goes on, more and more elements are brought in from his other books and things like that, and it becomes this huge, massive, epic tale. But to start with, in The Gunslinger, it is the simple story of a gunslinger um, who's essentially just meant to be Clint Eastwood in the in the in his like uh, good, the bad, and the ugly type of films. Um, Roland mm. of Gilead chasing the Man in Black. Well, uh, Randall Flagg, I think he's or he might just be known as the Man in Black in that book. Chasing the Man in Black across the desert, um, yeah. and that's about the long and short of it. He just needs to catch up with the man mm. in black to ask him some questions and, and find some stuff out. And I love it. I just adore it. I just think it's it's the perfect opening chapter to this epic fantasy series that I love so much. They made it into a film starring Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey that you should not watch ever under any circumstances. It is an okay. aberration. <laughs> and then... Okay. Uh, Amazon, I think Amazon almost, Amazon filmed a pilot for a TV show of it and then didn't fund it. It's kind of this, it's just never, there's never going to be a good adaptation of The Dark Tower, I think. It's just impossible. So um, we'll make do with the books for now. But yeah, no, there we go. The Gunslinger. I adore it. It's, it's great. Nice. And I want to tattoo the opening line onto my body. Never. <laughs> Where do you want to tattoo it? I'd like to tattoo it on my arm. I guess I don't know. Okay. On my bum, I'd like to tattoo it on my bum. <laughs> on my bum. I'd like on it to say bum. the man in black fled across the desert on the left, and then and the gunslinger followed on the right. That's my plan. Perfect. Yeah. What's your Can't number two? My number two is a book we have talked about before because it's your number five. My number two <laughs> is Northern Lights by oh. Pullman. What a delight. You've got I it higher it. than me. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Maybe because I read it as an adult, I really liked it. I don't know. Mm. I think it's mm. a great book. And I'm enjoying, all, I've enjoyed all of his books uh, that I've read. And uh, yeah, even the new ones, which are a little bit harder to read, um, which the latest one is The Common, uh, The Secret Commonwealth. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I think it's, yeah, but I think he's a great writer, and yeah, I love Northern Lights. I read, I read and adored uh, La Belle Sauvage, the first in the new series, but then I am yeah, struggling. That was really I've good. read about 
30% of The Secret Commonwealth and I'm really struggling with it for though. But not to do with the writing or the story, yeah. all to do with what it's doing to certain characters that I have grown yeah. up loving. And I, yeah. I'm just But I think it... you just have to power through because yeah. towards the end and it just gets... Like I've been telling you for months, it's like just just power through because I've had the same struggle. <laughs> oh, it, dra- it drains uh, me. It really drains me. It makes me so sad. Yeah, but I, I think it's it shows how of an amazing writer he is. It just makes mm. you feel so like oh, but what? No, I can't. How 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 is the other? How are they feeling? So yeah, it's, yeah. Um, oh. yeah. But then you get towards the end, and it's 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 good. And I think I'm looking forward to the next one. But Good. it is, it is hard to read. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. Have you watched any of the Northern Lights? Have you watched any of the BBC adaptation of? No, I want to. I have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I need to watch more of it. I've only watched yeah. a couple of episodes of the first series, but the second series mm. is starting soon, so I need to catch up and get on it properly. Yeah. Um. Right. Definitely. Awesome. Good. Good. Solid yeah. choice. Number two. Northern Lights. Philip Pullman. Like it. Right. My number one is number one is my number one it is it is the only book that could be my number one because it makes me cry (laughs) when i read it every time and it's defined my love for it has defined my life and that's become more challenging in recent years but it remains uh, there's nothing that can make me stop loving it and it is harry potter and the order of the phoenix oh is that number four no it's number five it's number five it's number five. It's a lot of people's least favourite in the series. Um, and people generally mm. don't rank it that highly. But for me, it's my favourite simply because it's the longest book. So you it kind of, you <laughs> get to spend, in terms of like, similar to like what we we're talking about with Edda, I can't believe I'm comparing Edda with Harry Potter, mm. but like looking at the, the smaller moments in between the big dramatic moments, I feel like Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix has a lot of that. Like there's a lot of, just exploring his year in Hogwarts mm. in a bit more depth and detail than in other books. And I think some people might find that a bit dull, but I love yeah. that stuff. I am I I live for that stuff. And, you know, number 10 Grimoire Place and all the cleaning of the house and all of that stuff, I just love it. And, mm. yeah, it's my... I mean, taken as a whole, the Harry Potter series um, is my favourite book. But if I'm picking out one specific book, it is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, I started reading them when I was in school, when I was about 11, and each time one would come out, I would buy it and read it in a day, and then read it again. And it's just <laughs> in it's a just, day. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. I remember Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire came out, and I read it in a day because uh, I just got it and didn't stop reading it until <laughs> I finished it. Um, and the same was true for most of the rest of the series after that. Uh, and like my defi- like one of the defining memories of my childhood was walking home from primary school on my own the day that Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban came out, and going into my local independent bookshop. And picking up my copy that I'd that I'd like pre-ordered, and they gave it me in this little brown paper yeah. bag, and I remember carrying it home and just in my head thinking, oh, what's he going to have done in his third year, and what's his summer going to have been like, and all of these things, and I just was so mm-hmm. incredibly excited to read it, and it didn't let me down. It is great. So yeah, um, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is my number one favorite book of all time. I completely and utterly adore that book. You've got you've got more controversial authors than me this week. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fine. No, I do uh, know what you're talking about, okay. but I I'm not naming her. I'm not talking about her. Can't stand her anymore. Sick to death of hearing about her. 
So I'm just, it's just the book. Yeah. Not discussing the author. She can go and live in a cave. Who's your number one? I, th- I think she does live in a cave for not knowing exactly what's happening. I don't know if she wants to push buttons. I don't know. Crazy, yeah. eh? Yeah, she's awful. Um, so uh, my next, uh, my number one is my another Japanese entry of somebody that I read <gasps> most of uh, their books. And his name is, well, the author is Haruki Murakami. Of course. The book is one, <laughs> yeah, of course, um, is 1Q84. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, um, well, a bit like uh, the Handmaiden, Handmaid's Tale, uh, 1Q84 is kind of a dystopian novel. And um, it's uh, it's a it's kind of a it's it's a fictional year, nineteen eighty four, which kind of like uh, is also an homage to George Orwell. Uh, but uh, there mm-hmm. are two parallel worlds. Um, so there's nineteen eighty four, and then another parallel world, which um, is one Q eight four. Yeah, and uh, it's the story of uh, a woman that is called Aoname. Uh, begins um, is in a what well, starts with her being in a uh, in a taxi in traffic and trying to go somewhere, and then um, the taxi driver tells her that she can uh, to get where she wants to go. She can go down the fire escape of this route, and. Um, but he said, be careful because things might change. And then she goes down this fire escape and then she starts noticing that things are not exactly how they're supposed to be. And uh, and then in parallel, uh, so then she starts living in this parallel world from 1984. And in parallel to that world, the actual 1984, uh, there's uh, the narrative of Tengo, which... Um, He's uh, he's a math teacher who gets entangled into. Um, uh, is he a math teacher? I don't know. I haven't read no. it. No, Tengo. No, no, it's not math teacher. Why am I talking about that? Uh, Tengo? Uh, who is an aspiring uh, writer? Who um, he's uh, he's becomes wrapped up in this. Um, a uh, girl's life who is supposed to have has supposed to have written a a, a short uh, novella or a short story, but then he realized that she hasn't written this short story, and uh, she hasn't even thought about this short story, and so that it's another that also gets in, gets entangled in this, which she was part of a cult, and um, it's basically uh, a really interesting. Murakami novel which I absolutely <laughs> love <laughs> and um, I don't want to say too much because I think it's so intense um, it's a really intense novel and I think it's my favorite because there's still some bits of it that really get to me and I haven't read yeah. it that I read it about maybe eight years ago and I still yeah. vividly remember certain bits of it and yeah. I feel he's such a great writer that he can pretty much make you feel certain way a certain way and that's how you feel and 
Yeah. And every time you think about that, you feel that way. And that's why yeah. I love his books. And uh, that's why I love this particular book, because I've there were some bits that I read and then I couldn't sleep. It was just, for me, terrifying. But it was wow. nothing that was necessarily terrifying, but it just the way that he made you feel <laughs> about it. <laughs> it's an extremely long book, so it takes ages to read. <laughs> but it's totally yeah. worth it. And I, I, mean, I, was, I, I was gonna love say th- Murakami. The one thing I know about it is that it's exceptionally long. And hearing it's you so describe long. it... Hearing you describe it, it makes sense because it sounds like you've just described about six different books. Yes. <laughs> it's so long, but you can like, just... There's a like, girl in a taxi and then there's a teacher, but he's not a teacher, but he wrote a book, but then he didn't write a book. and then. It's <laughs> but it's really scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. And I... I I love how he does things. And some people mm. say that he's overrated and some people say that he... He's just too wordy and he talks a bit too much about um, how much he knows about music. And I love that about him. I love about how much he knows about things. And um, I, I, I've read most of his books and I think he's a great writer. And he took me to places with his books that were incredible. And with this one, it's just amazing. And the way that he always, he likes to write parallel stories and he does that quite often in his books. Yeah. And in this one, then, you know, the parallel stories then start merging and it's just, it just great mind. It's just a great mind. And that's why I think this yeah. is one of my favorite books and is one of my favorite authors. Yeah. But I think stuff like what you're saying about people criticizing if we're always talking about how much he knows about music and whiskey is another big, is that a big mm. thing as well? I feel like more so than a lot of other mediums with a book, when you have a favorite author, Hmm. Reading a book by them should feel like encountering a friend again, an old friend or something. And like, yeah, yeah, it's good when they have those common things that they go back to in all their books. You know, that's what I love about like Lovecraft yeah. is there's there's certain turns of phrase and ways of talking about things that he does all the time. And that's what makes me enjoy hmm. his books. And the same is true of Stephen King and obviously also true yeah. of Murakami. I think that's a strength where, where they can have like a voice to their writing and a personality behind hmm. their doesn't matter what the book is you can always tell it's their book yeah. and that's what makes them such good authors. So I think that's, yeah, a strength of his. I've only read Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World, uh, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in terms of like, yeah, parallel stories are a big theme in that one. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I, I, I should read 1Q84, but it's, it's just, it's a long one. It's so long. It's so long. <laughs> so uh, do you want to, yeah. shall I run down my yeah. list from five to one? So at number five, I had Northern Lights by Philip Pullman. At number four, I had The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Number three, uh, The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Number two, The Gunslinger by Stephen King. And number one, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Fantastic. My top five. Number five, Matilda by Royal Dahl. Uh, number four, uh, Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. My number three, uh, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. My number two, Northern Lights by Philip Pullman. And my number one, 1Q84 by Haruki Murakami. Done. Lovely, lovely stuff. Um, honourable mentions. My honourable mentions list this yeah. week is quite short and not because I don't like a lot of books, but mm. because I found writing my list fairly quick and I didn't have to think of many alternate titles, if you see what I mean. Okay. Yeah. So I, I've just got a few other ones that I really love. 
um, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. It's a great horror book. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's one of those great stories where it seems like one thing, but then you kind of discover something else is going on as well at the same time. It's a fantastic, it's an amazing novel, uh, A Head Full of Ghosts. So I would recommend that to anyone. Uh, the Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald is one of the classics that people study in school that I actually um, didn't read in school. And when I did read it on my own volition, I, I, I adored it. Don't Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, the book that inspired Blade Runner. Uh, the Book Thief by Marcus Zusak is a fantastic kind of World War II tale. And The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, a book I once tried to make you read that you hated. And that's my <laughs> honourable mentions list. <laughs> Well, it was so wordy. It's like, ah, oh, the sword, the lighted, and it was grey, but not grey enough to see it in the dark, but grey enough to, to cut. I was just like, stop talking about this oh, bloody it sword. awesome. I love Sorry. it. You're making me ha- so happy <laughs> just to too hear much. more of it. Um, too much. Okay, so my honourable mentions are... Uh, Little Women by Louisa May L. Alcott. We know what it is about. Um, Emma uh, and Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I love those books. Emma Mm -hmm. is about Emma and Pride and Prejudice is about uh, the story of uh, five sisters. They've just done a film of Emma, haven't they? Oh, I don't know. Have they? Yeah, they do. It came out just before the pandemic, so I think it, it... Missed a lot oh. of people. It's meant, it's meant oh. to be good, so you should look it up. It stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who is wonderful. Ooh. Okay, yeah, but Emma's about a girl that is not really, uh, doesn't really follow the um, societal conventions at the time. Oh, does, does she work in a convenience store? Yosh- yes, shut up. <laughs> uh, Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto, which is an amazing book about this uh, girl that likes cooking, but a lot of stuff around it. Um, and anything written by Banana Yoshimoto, I love. Um, Shogun, which is a book by James Clavell. Yes. James Clavell. Clavel? Clavel? Clavel. Clavel, I always say, but I, I don't know. James Clavel, uh, Shogun, a book by James Clavel or Clavel, uh, which talks about um, uh, English people in uh, in Japan a long time ago in the 1600s. Uh, really interesting. I really liked it. Uh, still a massive book. It took me ages to read. Um, Weathering Heights by Emily Bronte uh, and Siddhartha. Siddhartha by Herman S. Nice. Good books on that list, Alex. Lots of classics on that list, I think. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love my classics. I love them. Mm. (laughs) I love them, love them. Good. (laughs) Good, good, good. All right. So. Time for homework assignments. Yes. Uh, I... I'll go first. I would like you to read The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. I'm excited about that, actually. Good. It's in the public domain. No, I don't think so. It's it's more of a a mood and a tone that he... It's not like... I don't think it's scary. No, it's definitely not not scary. You will not be scared by the galaxy. Sorry? (laughs) Can I not read a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? (laughs) No, no, no. Call of Cthulhu. The good, like, Call of Cthulhu is in the public domain, so you'll be able to get it for free. 
and it's okay. it, it 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 will probably take you about an hour to two hours to read it. It's not a super long story. Okay. So, Call of Cthulhu, and I'd like to know what you think of it. I think it's an interesting. I think I'd be interested to know what somebody who isn't naturally a fan of horror and that kind of thing makes of of that story. So yeah. If I don't sleep, it's your fault. I really don't think there's. A, I like honestly, don't go into it expecting to be scared because I really don't think you will be. The the, okay. the joy of it is not in what how scary it is. Okay. And I would like you to read a convenience store woman. Okay. I'm yeah. glad you said that because. Uh, oh. <laughs> Hang on. I've disappeared. Yeah, I can only see. There we go. Can oh, you see it on the webcam? I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Now I've bought it. It's buying. Oh, fantastic! I've got it because yeah. I as soon yeah, as you said what it was. Yeah, it's not very long. I'm determined yeah. to read it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So thank you for that. I look cool. forward to reading Convenience Store Woman. And uh, yeah, let's talk yeah. about what's happening next week because it's going to affect homework a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So this homework assignment, partly because it's books, um, which can take a bit longer, although I think we've both assigned each other books that shouldn't take too long. But anyway, it's going to run over two weeks mm. because next week will be a slightly different episode where we won't be discussing homework because our top five nope. next week will be on video games. Yes. Yeah, top five video games because I love video games. Alex, do you love video games? No, because I can't play them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because you don't really play much of them, but you respect the no. love for them, right? I do respect the love for them, and that's why we're doing an episode on them, because I think exactly. video games need to be talked about. Yes. So to help us in achieving that goal of sharing some top five video game lists, we're going to have, for the first time ever, it's a Culture Bucket first, a special guest. Yeah. Yes. The specialist uh, of, of guests. The specialist of guests, our mutual very close friend Dan will be joining us to talk video games. So Dan and yeah. I will be sharing our top five video games list uh, to, to specify more in specifically to specify more specifically. Um, we're not <laughs> including any Nintendo games because to also include Nintendo games on the list would be impossible. So at some point in the future, I think we'll do a Nintendo special. Alex will be able to join in because she will receive our lists in advance and have yeah. used using the power of YouTube, she will inform herself mm -hmm. on these games. And then from her view, she will tell us how ridiculous we are for liking uh, each yeah. game on our list. Yeah? Yes, 100%. 100%. looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it a lot as well. I've already sent you my list. so Yeah, I've got your list. Yeah, you've got my list. You'll be getting down the list still at some thinking. point soon. <laughs> And um, yeah, I'm really excited to do that episode. I think it's going to be cool and fun. And then we'll come back yeah. after that and discuss uh, The Call of Cthulhu and Convenience Store Woman on a future episode yes. when we get back into the normal run of things. So yeah, that's that's it. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us again. Please do. Um, we you. keep saying it, but please, please, please uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and all the places. And tell all of your friends about us if you know anyone that you think would enjoy this um kind of hangout show on pop culture then 
just tell them and uh, see if they listen to us. We'd love to get more listeners and we really appreciate those of you yeah. who are listening already. And as I keep saying as well, message us, email us, get in touch with us. There's links to all of our social places in the podcast notes. Let us know what you think and send us any of your own lists as well for us to read out because we'd love to start doing that. Yes, please. Yeah, and um, go find Talk us on Instagram. Us. Talk to us, comment on our stuff, look at the amazing illustrations Alex does on Instagram. And um, oh, yeah, thank just, you, G. You're very welcome. And um, yeah, for this week, you'll have you'll have you'll have hopefully seen a picture of me with tentacles all over my face to look like Cthulhu. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> okay, so you're ready to be uh, putting in your request. <laughs> there's a very there's a very specific description of Cthulhu in the book, so you'll uh, you'll know what he looks like. Okay, by the time you've read that. Fantastic. So yeah. Thank you so much. Join us next time for video Thank game you. chat. Um, and yeah. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye.